Welcome everybody. My name is Drake and I'm uh, I, I lead salt company here at the University of Minnesota. Hope to see some of you guys at US Bank. I think, I think the most compelling part of the US Bank pitch was that it's, it's a place where you can laugh. Because um, I don't know if you know, it's actually one of the rare places in the city where you can actually laugh. And so we want to invite you to be a part of that. If you don't know the Rolling Stones, okay, you might know the Vikings. So we've got, in a couple weeks, we've got the Vikings game that you can jump in and be a part of, but that is what's coming up. Come be a part of that. Um, but here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about sex, okay? And so if this is your first night at Salt Company, welcome to Salt Company. Uh, here's the thing. We, we've been doing this, this series called The Talk, where we're talking about singleness, sex, and dating, because it's important. And guys, didn't, didn't Colin do a great job last week talking about singleness? I mean, if you haven't heard it, go back, listen to it. It was phenomenal. And here's the thing. We want to talk about these topics because it's something that culture is pumping out so much information to you. Like the media is pumping out so much information that you are taking in. There's so much conversation happening about this topic. And if you're honest, you probably thought about it a time or two. Um, and so here's the thing that we want to see. The topic of sex is actually all throughout the pages of the Bible. Okay, it's actually where the origins of it were. So we want to open our Bible, and we actually want to be people that are formed and shaped in every single way by this word. Because here's the thing. We might look to every other avenue to learn about this topic except the Bible. But here's the thing. Here's the question for you. Do you want to know God's perspective on sex? The very creator of sex. Seems like a good opinion to know, right? Open your Bible, okay? Maybe something you haven't heard too often, but here's what we're going to do tonight. We want to open our Bibles to see what is God's perspective on this topic that is talked about so often. But before we do that, I actually want to go to a text that I want to be an overarching theme in your life when you think about following the commands of God. So if we look at John 10, verse 10, it says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Here's what Jesus is saying here. There are two avenues in this world. One where Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy the joy that you have in your life. Or following Jesus and his commands where he's saying, I want to give you life. And I want to give that to you abundantly. I want to satisfy the longings of your heart. I want to give you endless joy. I want that to be what defines your life. And so as we look at this topic, as we hear the commands coming from Jesus in Scripture, may we know that this is for your good, that this is for your joy, that you might have abundant life. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk about three myths about sex, Okay. Things that maybe culture might believe, things that you actually might be operating out of yourself, whether you know it or not. And we want to look and see what does the Bible have to say back to those myths. And before we enter into this topic, got this quote on me. Before we enter into this topic, I realize that where this can be an exciting topic to talk about, this can actually be one that heaps on shame and guilt for so many in this room where you might hear the commands of God and you look back on your past 
and you see how you've broken those commands and you feel like there's shame and guilt just piling up on you tonight, and here's what I want to remind you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That is what's true over your life. Because here's the reality, Saul Company. We serve a God that doesn't say shame on you. He says shame off you and shame on me. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the king that we worship here tonight. And so if there is any ounce of shame that you are feeling tonight, that is not of God. He said, no, I'll take your brokenness. I'll take your shame. He wants you to know that he delights in you wherever you're at right now. But I also want to say, as we talk about this topic, if there's some conviction of, man, I want to leave the past in the past, I actually want to change. I want to live in this joyful route that Jesus has put before me, and I want to take steps towards that direction. Here's what I want to say. That could be the Holy Spirit prompting you and inviting you into the life of joy. And so listen to that, respond to that. And I also realize that there are some in this room that have had devastating life experiences in this realm. That you have been abused sexually and anytime this topic comes up, it just brings a bunch of hurt and pain. And what I want to remind you and tell you is that that was an incredibly selfish act and sinful act that was done to you. And that breaks the heart of God. If that's not what defines you, it is not your fault. And it is my prayer that tonight you would actually see the way God sees the dignity and value and worth that you actually hold. And here's the thing about Salt Company. Salt Company is a family where you can be known and loved. And so if that is you, I want to actually invite you, come talk to one of our staff members. We want to care for you. We want to walk through that difficulty with you. And we want to remind you of the beauty that Jesus sees you with. So let me just pray to that end as we enter into this topic. Jesus, sex is one of the more beautiful gifts that you designed from the beginning of the world, and yet it is also one that has been a great means of destruction in this world. Jesus, there is there's hurt, there's shame, there's guilt when we talk about this topic, and it feels like one of those things that you, you just can't talk about with other people. But God, I, I pray that that lie would be cast to hell and that people would feel the freedom to be open and honest with the hurt that they've experienced so they might find healing in you. God, would they remember time and time again that you say shame off you and shame on me? Would they have that, those words that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Would those be running on repeat over and over and over in their minds tonight? Jesus, we need you, and we know that you're the good shepherd walking right beside us as we enter into this topic. And so, Jesus, would you be with us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, we're, we're going to jump into the first myth about sex. And that is, it's just sex. Okay? 
So here's what culture would say. It's very common in our culture and for people to believe. Quit making a big deal about it. It's just sex. Like we have these desires within us, and like we're these sexual beings. It's only human to explore and to experience those type of desires. It's just a casual act that happens at one moment and doesn't carry over to any other part of my life. Okay, it is just sex. So what is the harm in it? But let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. Again, to all these, we want to open our Bibles because we believe God's voice is revealed in his word. We want to see what God has to say about this topic. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 13 through 16. And if you don't have your Bible, please feel free to look up to the screens. It says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of of a prostitute, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. Okay, a lot of confusing language in there. Okay, it talks about joining, it talks about different members. What is it saying? Okay, in this church at Corinth, a lot of weird things happen, okay? There's a dude that's sleeping with his stepmom, there's people getting drunk at the communion table, and there's these men that are actually sleeping with prostitutes and they feel like it's totally fine. Because in their mind, it is something that's completely separate from their time worshiping in the sanctuary, right? Like they go and they have sex with these prostitutes, but then they are still able to come into the sanctuary and worship Jesus. There's no overlap. There's a separation between sexual life and the spiritual life. But what Paul is wanting you to see in this is that they have a dramatic misunderstanding of the two. That actually there's not a separation of maybe secular things and the sacred, but everything that we do is under the umbrella of our spiritual walk with Christ. And so he's trying to draw us in and to see that. And so for you tonight, you can see that, that term of prostitute basically as anyone that's not your husband or wife. And so for all of you, that would be literally anyone, okay? So it says, don't you know that he who has joined with the prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. What Paul is trying to get you to see is the weightiness behind sex. That there's actually a weight that if you just see it as just sex, as these people in Corinth did, you won't understand the weightiness that it holds. It's not just an, an end, that's just an act that you do, but there's, it's actually a means to an end. And I love that science is actually catching up with the Bible on this one. And what science has found out is that actually when two people have sex, there's a hormone that's released called, it's been labeled the attachment hormone. And so when that happens, two souls literally attach to one another, making it one complete soul. So every time someone has sex, there's an attachment happening at the soul level to that other person. And there is never a clean break. It's like part of you is with that person, part of them is with you. Why is that? It's because sex is actually doing what it was designed to do, to make two people one. 
the Bible would say that there is no such thing as casual sex like our culture would. And I just want to stop and say one more time, there's no shame to be placed on you. Like God is in the business of redeeming broken things and making them beautiful, and I want to remind you of that. But I also want to stop and say that these words in this book actually is showing you the very heart of God. That his commands for you are actually for your good. That he wants to protect you from harm. He wants to protect you from hurt. He wants to protect you from shame. And so he is trying to call you to live a life where you are abstaining from this in your life. And so this text is trying to get you to understand the weight of what happens in sex between two people. That literally it's two souls joining together to be one. But... There's also another truth that he's trying to proclaim to you. The reality that you are united with Christ. How amazing is that? Like the God that came to save the broken world, you have actually been made one with him so that when God looks at you, there's no clear-cut spot where you end and where Christ begins. When God looks at you, he sees the perfection, the purity, and the blamelessness of Jesus Christ himself. Your life has been hidden with Christ and God, Colossians would say. And so Paul is trying to show you the mystery behind both of these things. That sex causes you to be one with another person, but you have actually been made one with Jesus Christ himself. And he's saying those two things cannot exist with one another. Like you're delighting in the reality of this joy of being made one with Christ being forgiven, blameless, and in relationship with him for the rest of your eternity, while at the same time trying to be made one with sexual immorality. Those two are completely incompatible. Just like if you tried to shake a bottle full of vinegar and oil as hard as you can, over and over and over, those two things aren't mixing together. They're literally incompatible with one another. So they're going to separate because they cannot mix together. A life of being united with Christ is incompatible with a life of sexual immorality. And yet there might be some of you who are coming to Salt Company on Wednesday night. You're lifting your hands in worship. You love being a part of this community. You delight in the good news of Jesus being preached over your life. But then on the weekends, you still see it as okay to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. And here's the call for you. You have been invited into the joyful unity with Christ. Don't bring that brokenness, don't bring that sexual immorality into that joyful relationship that you have been welcomed into. And I just want to say another note here, that there's a a dramatic difference between willingly choosing to step into sexual immorality and feeling like you're forced to with no way out. Because there might be some of you in here tonight that are in a relationship where you feel like you're demanded or you're being asked to do things that you don't want to do, while at the same time you believe that there's no way out of that relationship. I want to say both of those things aren't true. 
that if that is you, again, this is a family where you can be known and loved. Come talk to one of our staff members. We want to help you in that moment. But for those that choosing willingly, what is the application that we see from this text? Look at verse 18 in the same passage. It just says simply, flee sexual immorality. And I want you to notice one thing about this verse. It doesn't just say flee sex, okay? It says flee sexual immorality. In Ephesians 5, it says, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality amongst you. Why is that important? Because he's saying flee and run from every form of sexual immorality that you could even think of. I think that's important for us to understand because I've sat down with a lot of students and I've even used this in my own life from time to time. But they come up to me and they say, hey, Drake, I, I struggled with impurity this week, but it's okay, I didn't have sex. Like, Drake, I, I slept at my boyfriend or girlfriend's place, but it's okay, we didn't have sex. Like, we, we fell short, we, we felt each other up, but it's okay, we didn't have sex. I watched pornography this week, but it's okay, I didn't have sex with someone else. And what they are doing is that they're trying to diminish the sin that they have done because in their mind, there is a worse sin that they can compare it to. Or I hear students ask, what is the line that I shouldn't cross? Right? And a lot of times, this can actually be asked out of a really good heart. Like, I, I want to live a life of purity in this relationship, but in reality, a lot of times, the students are asking, how much sin can I experience but still be socially acceptable in this Christian community? Like, how close to the fire can I get without being burned? And what I want to hear you ask is it shouldn't be, how much can I get away with, but how much joy am I missing out on if I do this? And here's a question I want you to start asking that I think is going to actually direct your relationship and purity towards the direction that you want. And that question is, how do I love Jesus more today with my life? Like, let that be the question. Because as you ask yourself that question, that is going to form and shape your day on a journey of obedience and a journey to love Jesus with your life and love the other person that you are with. And so I have to ask that, this question. Is there any area of your life that you have been justifying sexual sin and you need to flee from it? But how do you begin fighting it in your life? A lot of times it feels so difficult. It feels like you're never going to defeat it on your own. And it's actually going to be a pattern of confessing your brokenness and then taking action on it. And so a helpful tool, if you're taking notes, I want you to actually draw this out. What we call it is the repenter's quadrant, okay? And so if we look at this, what we're going to see is the vertical axis, all right? So what that is, is it's talking about whether you're confessing your sin or whether you're concealing it. Like you're not telling anyone else about it. The horizontal is, are you taking action to fight it, or are you apathetic and okay with where you're at? So here's the thing. We want to be people that are the first to confess our sin and the first to do something about it. Like, we want to be running with everything we have towards the repenter's quadrant because we know that that is actually the path to joy. But here's what I know about myself, and here's what I know about you. A lot of times, we struggle and fall into one of the other quadrants. So what are those? So we look at the top left. 
where you confess your sin, but you actually aren't taking any action on it. That person's called the talker. Because that person will confess their sin often. They'll tell other people about it. But they actually kind of confuse confession with repentance. Like, if I just tell somebody, that's all I need to do. Or maybe they're not taking action on it because they truly just love that sin too much. Okay, the bottom left is the hider. That's someone that is not confessing it to anyone. That's someone that is not taking any action on it. They honestly just feel crippled by their sin. There's probably insecurity just keeping them in the dark. And they feel like they are trapped and can't tell anyone else about it. That person is the hider. The bottom right is someone who's seeking to take action but not going to confess it to anyone else. That person's the fixer. That person's probably wrestling through their mind like, man, what will this person think if I tell them this weakness in my life? Like, will they even want to follow me? Will they see me as a good leader if I share this brokenness? And so what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to work really, really hard to fix that problem on my own, and then maybe later I'll tell you about it, but it's kind of a past tense thing. Like, hey, I struggled with this, but this isn't a struggle for me anymore. And here's what I want to say. All of those other quadrants are ways that we forget the good news of the gospel, that our sin and brokenness has been completely done away with on the cross, and that Jesus has already given us a new identity of holy and blameless before him. And so the call is to live in the light by striving to be a repenter and realizing that that is ultimately the path to joy. That's the first myth. Second myth, and this one's pretty common, but we love each other, right? This idea, and it's a pretty, one, pretty simple one to understand. It's like, oh, but we love each other. That's why we do it. That's why we have sex. It's because we want to show our love for one another. Like, we know we're going to be together forever, all right? We've said the I love you, therefore we should be freed up to do this. And what this is actually saying, it's a misunderstanding of what love is from the Bible. Because what is truly happening and what we'll see in scriptures, that's not love, that's disobedience. And that disobedience is actually causing harm to you and to that person, not love. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So this is the beginning of this text. This is the will of God for your life. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, God, what is your will for my life? Could you just tell me? Like, I, I want to have a clear perspective of my future, what it's supposed to be like. Could you just share with me what your will for my life is? Wouldn't that make it so much easier? He does right here. What he says is that here is the will of your life, your sanctification. And that's just a fancy word that means becoming more and more like Christ in every area of your life. Like, God's will for you is that you would actually be conformed more and more into the image of Christ and that you would do away with more and more the dead life that you were living in. And he 
calls you to that by saying, I want you to abstain from sexual immorality, and I want to invite you into the life of holiness and honor. Holiness means just being set apart, being different from this world. And he says, let no one wrong his brother or sister in this way. What is that way? In the way of sexual immorality. So he's saying, let no one harm them in this way because you were not called to live a life of impurity. You were called to live a life of holiness. So then he ends this passage. I'm saying, if anyone disregards this, you're not disregarding man, but God. And here's what that's hitting on. Some of you might be sitting in the crowd tonight and you're like, Drake, that's a sweet idea for you, not for me, okay? Like, I love that that is what you want to do. I love that that's your thought. I love that that's what you're talking about. But that's good for you. That's not good for me. But this text is really just confronting you right where you're at by saying, you're not ultimately disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the God who voiced his words in these pages. Like, that is the authority that these words extend out from. And so how does this passage speak against the idea of we love each other? It shows you that's not love because love would be to walk in holiness and honor. That's actually disobedience. And what you're truly causing for the other person in that relationship is not love, but you're actually bringing about harm on their life. Why? Because the most loving thing you could do would be to stir their affection and to call them to live more in the life that Jesus has called them to. That would be the most loving thing you can do. Those words actually extend from a selfish heart that is seeking to satisfy sinful desires, not one that's trying to show love. And as I've just learned more about this topic, what I've learned about impurity is that it gives you the illusion that there's depth growing in that relationship when there's actually no depth being grown at all. Like you'll see couples that are saying, man, we're, we're not connecting. There's kind of a struggle in our relationship. Let's just try a last-ditch effort. Let's have sex, and let's see if that does the trick. Or people who literally don't feel connected unless they have sex. What that's showing is that there's really no depth being grown in the relationship and so here's the application from this point. Depth isn't grown from impurity. Depth is grown from conversation. Super exciting, right? But here's what's true, and here's what I want to call you to. Set up dates and set up hangouts where you are fostering an environment where conversation happens, where you're getting to know what the other person's passionate about. You're getting to know about their family. You're getting to know about their personality. You're getting to know what they want to live for in their life. And here's something that's uh, incredibly true that might seem obvious, but we might forget. It's really hard to get to know someone when you're making out with them, right? Let's just say it how it is. Like, you can't multitask with that, all right? And so here is the call. Set up a time where you're actually asking good questions. Dudes in the room, you're not trying to see how far she'll go. You're trying to think of one intentional question to ask her to get to know her. And so that's one side of the myth, that you show love by physical intimacy, by physical impurity. But the other side of that coin is that for some of you in this room, you, you honestly think that the only way for you to feel love is through physical intimacy. That there's a combination of insecurity and doubt that's causing you to think, man, that the only way that I will 
feel the value that I should is if someone is physically intimate with me, confirming that in my life. And I just want to say that's a lie straight from Satan. Like, you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. That is who you are. And the truth behind that is that he has bestowed the greatest value, dignity, and worth that you could ever have, and he has that for you right now. That you are satisfied in what he has done for you. You don't need to search anywhere else for that. Okay, here's a way to illustrate that. Imagine that I gave you a trash bag, okay? You name the brand, doesn't matter. Okay, I gave you a trash bag. And then I say, hey, I want you to put these thousand, a thousand bricks into that trash bag. And you're like, Drake, that's for sure not going to happen, but I'll try it, okay? So you go one brick after the other, next brick, next brick, next brick. What's going to happen to that trash bag? It's going to break. It's going to rip. Why? That trash bag wasn't designed to carry the weight of a thousand bricks. Salt company, nothing in this world was designed to carry the weight of your worship. Only God has the shoulders big enough to carry that. And here's what's true, is that you will hear that here tonight, and you will leave those doors, and you will get a wave of insecurity and doubt that hits you, and you'll be tempted to believe that physical intimacy is what you need to aid that where physical intimacy actually can't carry the weight of what you're looking for. And so how do you truly love and care for someone in a relationship? How do you truly experience love within a relationship? Let's look to John 15, verses 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How do you love someone in a relationship? You seek to walk in obedience to Jesus together because you know that is the path to abiding in Jesus for the both of you. You realize that actually abiding in Jesus and His love is a far greater love than you could ever offer that person. And that Jesus freely welcomes you in to that love. And so here's why it's important for you to realize that actually seeking to love someone by having sex outside of marriage is not truly love, that's disobedience, because it's only when you realize that that you can actually see that obedience is truly the path to loving them. And so some of you might be asking, okay, Drake, do you and the Bible just only have a negative view about sex, right? Like, is that what all of these are getting at? And here's what I want to say, far from that, okay? Uh, the next myth is actually going to hit right on that, so thank you for asking. Next myth, sex is bad, all right? I don't think there's too many people that think that, um, but I think a lot of people think their Bibles think that. And so let's go to the first book of this Bible, and let's look at where it began. In Genesis 1, 27 through 28, it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I also want to invite you anytime to look at the book of Song of Solomon. 
you'll be confused that that book is in your Bible, okay? It is a very real look at a married couple enjoying sex with one another, showing that it is meant for the delight, delight of a married couple. Okay, so what do we see in this text in Genesis? We see the very first command that God gives his people is to be fruitful and to multiply, okay? Like he creates Adam and Eve, and he, the first thing he says is, enjoy sex, make a bunch of babies, fill the earth, okay? That is the first command. Okay, what's the next one? He says that you are to leave your father and mother and that you're actually to join and experience intimacy with one another by becoming one flesh together. Here's what we see. God created sex in his great kindness as something that would bring about incredible joy in a relationship. And the reason that it is so amazing, the reason why the world chases, chases after so much is because God designed it to be amazing. The very creator of the universe was the creator of sex. And so let's actually turn to 1 Corinthians 7. You can look up on the screen if you'd like. And let's see in the New Testament God's call through the Apostle Paul to a married couple. So he says in verse 4 through 5, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Okay? That'll push back on our culture. That's basically saying your body is no longer your own, but you're actually dying to yourself for the sake of the other person. Next words. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, here's what, here's what Paul is saying in this text to married couples. Have a lot of sex, okay? Just straight up, that's what he's saying. He's saying, do not deprive one another unless, except... Like, accept this one thing. And I want you to listen to all of the qualifiers that he lists out. Accept, perhaps, okay, by agreement with both of you, for a very, very limited time that you might actually step aside and devote yourselves to prayer. Seems like a super holy thing, but he's like, so that you devote yourselves to prayer, but then when you're done, come back together again, Right? Like Paul is saying, enjoy the gift that God has granted you in the marriage covenant. So as he does this, we see that sex is a good and a powerful gift from our very creator. And there's one consistent theme throughout the whole Bible. And something I want you to learn is that why I went to Genesis and why I went to 1 Corinthians is that you would see that this isn't a truth that's just meant for a time, but actually those two books were written in dramatically different times in history. That, those, that shows that this truth spans all history and culture and trends and is true for you as well today. And that, tr that theme is that where sex is a powerful and amazing gift, it is meant to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. And the covenant commitment of marriage, why? In our culture, a lot of relationships are based off of what we could say contract. Like, if you do this, then I'll stay around. If you perform in this way, then I'll stay around. But here's what a covenant says. It, it says, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you perform. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. I am going to show up. Literally, no matter what you do, I am here. And God is showing us that that is the safest place 
for two people to experience intimacy with one another and to not have shame heaped on to that relationship. In this context, it is a powerful gift that is used for good. In any other context, it's a powerful force used for destruction. Okay, the way I want to illustrate this, I'm going to talk about bowling. You might wonder how that's going to connect, but we'll get, we'll get back around, okay? So I love bowling, okay? A lot of people in here probably love bowling. It's a great time. You go with a bunch of people, get your ball, you put your hand over the little air thing to make it look like you know what you're doing, and then you go up, and all the dudes in here try to get a land speed record, right? Try to see if they can get over the 20s and try to hit all the pins. Here's a question. Is bowling destructive? And I'm not talking about to your confidence. I'm talking, like, is it destructive? You'd say no, right? Because here's the reality. You've only ever bowled down the lane, hopefully. Because here's what's true. Say, you know, I'm bowling with all of you guys watching. That'd be very intimidating. But before I go up to roll this thing, I turn around. And instead of rolling at the pins, I chuck this ball as hard as I can at you. Is bowling destructive? Yes. Okay, simple answer to that question. So where bowling can be a great thing, if it's used in any other direction, if I throw it to the side and hit the other bowlers, not great. Okay, if it's used in any other context, it will be destructive. Here's what this text is saying. If sex is used in any other context than what God has designed, it will be destructive. I don't care if you're dating. I don't care if you're close to marriage. It will be destructive. But when it is used in the framework that God has designed for you, it can be an incredible and powerful gift to be enjoyed amongst two people. So here's the application. You might be thinking, how can there be application for us? Here's the application. Trust God. Trust God as word. Trust God that when he says he came to bring life and to bring it abundantly, that he meant it. Trust God that, that, he, that there is a weightiness to sex. Trust God that love is not solely displayed physically. Trust God that sex is an awesome gift in the right context. And even in that context, it can be a challenging thing for a marital couple to experience. But even in that moment, you're trusting God that he is sufficient for you. Because here is the beautiful thing as we look at the topic of sex in the Bible is that where it's an incredible gift, it's ultimately pointing to the most incredible gift that we all have access to right now, that we have been welcomed into into a relationship of being intimate with Jesus Christ himself. And we can all begin experiencing the joy of heaven now, a place where sex will not even exist. A quote by Kevin DeYoung that I thought was really powerful is he says, if sexual intimacy is nothing up there, how can we make it everything down here? If sexual intimacy is nothing up there, how can we make it everything down here where sex was meant to be a great gift to be enjoyed in the right context It is always meant to point you to the greater joy that you have full access to right now. And so where you might be waiting to experience that gift in the context of marriage, you're not waiting to experience the endless joy that Jesus offers you. Like he says that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been granted to you. So that's the invitation as you leave. You lack nothing. Jesus has given you everything you could ever wish or imagine. So as we enter back into worship, that's what stirs our affection for praise. 
we lift our hands and we sing these songs out because we realize worshiping Jesus is truly the thing that brings us the joy that all of us long for. That as we leave, no matter what stage of life we're in, we actually can say, all hail King Jesus. We can lift him up with our lives, realizing that he provides the satisfaction, he provides the joy that all of our hearts crave, and you've been welcomed into that. Let's pray. Jesus, we realize how much we need your spirit for a topic like this. God, this is an area where, yeah, people might just fight it and they fall. They fight it and they fall. But I pray that wherever people are at tonight, they would realize that they are seen as holy and blameless before you. I just want to re-say that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that you took the shame off of us so that we could be freely invited into a relationship with you. God, we're thankful that you created incredible gifts, but we know that all the greatest gifts in this world are ultimately pointing us to the greatest gift that we could ever have. So God, would we redirect our eyes? Would we fix our eyes on King Jesus, knowing that we have been welcomed into a relationship with you, that literally nothing is keeping us from worshiping him tonight because Jesus, you did away with everything on the cross. And God, if people are feeling broken, I pray they'd feel the freedom to come to you. If they're feeling hurt, I pray that they'd feel the freedom to come to you and to come to a staff member to tell someone about that so they can walk in the light and the joy that you provide. In all of this, Jesus, we realize this is not off of our own strength, but this is completely off of the strength that you exude that exists now in us because we put our faith in you. So God, you are worthy of our worship. Let's worship you tonight. Amen.